Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the L-E-G-I-O-N-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. I'm Murray, and this week, I am an officer of cutie. Carnage unleashed. Tiny innards everywhere. Ooh. <laughs> I know. There's like a... What do you call that? You got the cute word, and then you got the total opposite of what it means. I yeah. should know what that is, but it's late and my brain's fuzzy, so so that's what it is. But we have like the cutest Murphy. Murphy is just the cutest dog. And I was coming into the kitchen, and he was lying on the ground, looking all sweet and soft and sleepy. And I thought, oh, isn't that cute? And then I looked a little further, and of course, he wasn't looking cute. He was just looking tired out because he had spent last hour ripping apart every single toy within his reach so there's like a sea of fluff a sea of like whatever makes the squeaky sound inside of the toys and there's bits of the toys that are all like deflated and emptied of their innards it's (laughs) it's like a murder it's like a murder has gone on a little stuffy murder everywhere (laughs) (laughs) but that is what doggies do they grab their toys and they the goal is to kill it and yes i noticed that first they make it stop being like they they kill the squeaker Mm-hmm. So, yes. so it can't it can't call for help. Then they shred <laughs> no. the feet so that it can't run away. There's no escaping. That's right. <laughs> That's that was Charlie's thing. <laughs> it was always like like wow, the feet are absolutely shredded on this thing. Yeah, yeah. Yep, and that's. I mean, we're we're getting used to finding the carnage in different spots, like fair the stairwell, the front lawn the living room we just we know it's it's our life now we get to live with the fluff exactly (laughs) live with the fluff everywhere how i learn to stop worrying and love the fluff exactly that's it that's it we just have to accept it we just have to accept it he's a he's a born hunter and the stuffed animals are the innocent victims. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Moment of silence. Totally, totally, totally. So that's me, Officer of Cutie. Nice. Well, I am the um, chief uh, um, art appreciator of Fold In. Oh, yes. Feeling openly lucky. Death? Mm. Immortality. Nice. Um, as we uh, <laughs> n- note the uh, the passing of the legendary Al Jaffe. Yes. 102 no. years old. It's yep. Damn. What an incredible run. He used to show up on, uh, on Gilbert Gottfried's uh, uh, podcast from time to time and was always fascinating and um yeah you know he uh, he said that 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 uh the comedy was what kept him alive he said that serious people his age are dead <laughs> i'll bet <laughs> and uh yeah what an amazing you know he was he's in the eisner hall of fame 
Um, and, you know, he won um, special features awards in 1971 and 75, the Humor Comic Book Award for 1979, uh, the National Cartoonist Society Advertising and Illustration Award for 1973, um, and a Rubin Award in 2008, which I can only guess is about um, um, making, making a sandwich with, uh, yeah. <laughs> Mm. Mm. Uh, <laughs> the Rubin Award. Uh, uh, it doesn't say who it's named for, um, but it is um, uh, an award for Outstanding Cartoonist of the Year, and um, it is and it is uh, uh, you know sort of a secret ballot of uh, of cartoonists, uh, and it's the yeah National Cartoonist Society um, uh, puts out this award, and I, I really want to know who it's about. <laughs> Um, I, um, yeah, it doesn't say. I, I can't find that. But anyway, um, uh, a deservingly uh, well-awarded fellow. And uh, and hey, who of us didn't love a good Mad Magazine fold-in? Yeah. So, so there you go. Al Jaffe, Godspeed, sir. Um, 102. I mean, a, a hell of a run. You can. Damn. You can take nothing from that. I mean, good lord! <laughs> Damn. Um, yeah, but but he did, you know he created the the folding back in 1964, and drew them basically for another 55 years. Jeez. Like who can say that? It's insane. And uh, and like I say, fascinating dude to uh, to hear talk. So uh, again, salute. You're here. Damn, 100, so 102, so I was 1921, so he was like 45, 44, 45 when he invented the fold, started the foldings. Right. <laughs> wow. Uh, and then drew them for another 55 years, so well into his 90s. <laughs> That's wild. So wild. Oh, my god. Absolutely gosh. incredible. Absolutely incredible. And he used to actually work for Eisner, so... You know, it was like the idea of, um, you know, it, it, this was in 2013. He was one of six inductees into the Eisner Hall of Fame. Uh, Jaffe, who worked for Eisner in his studio for one of his earliest jobs, wasn't present during the um, convention. So the award was accepted by Mad's art director, who presented it to him at a later date. The other inductees in this uh, in this class were like Lee Falk, you know, creator of The Phantom, yeah. Mort Meskin. Um you know, well-known uh, Golden Age and Silver Age artist, and Spain Rodriguez, um, who did um, he did like this uh, underground cartoon called uh, comic called uh, Trash Man, and Joe Sinnott, of course, oh, we've yeah. heard of him. Yes, and Trina Robbins. Oh, cool! Yeah, so they all got uh, inducted at the same time to the Eisner nice. Hall of Fame. Anyway, all deserved. Indeed. Oh, that's pretty awesome. I mean, not the him dying part, everything else. No, no. But, but again, again, it's like, you know, I, I suppose it has to happen sometime. But, uh, you yes. know, he will he will remain immortal in being able to fold in a couple of pages and uh, and get a whole new thing said about it. Exactly. Apparently, in uh, on his birthday in 2006, um, the the Colbert Report, um, had an episode on his uh, 85th birthday where they saluted him with a fold-in birthday cake. 
the, the cake <laughs> featured the salutary message, Al, you have repeatedly shown artistry and care of great credit to your field. When the center section of the cake was removed, the remainder said, Al, you are old. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful. Beautiful. (laughs) All right. So what is going on in warmer climes, Al? Well, that actually segues well into mine. (laughs) Although it's making me feel bad about what I'm about to say now. Oh, no. (laughs) Well, no, just because I'm now complaining about things that he's like, he's like 60 years older than me still. There you go. But this weekend, I was an agent of Rex. Routinely exhausted Xennial. <laughs> which is a person between the late 70s and early 80s. Because I'm just feeling so tired. I mean, it was a holiday this weekend. And back in the day, I would have been like, oh, let's have a party and events. And we're going to drink and do things and get people together. And now it's like, no, no. I just want to celebrate it quietly by myself. Yeah. So Saturday night. Put it on, because as we all know, April 8th is Rex Banning Day. So I went and watched Empire Rex. Nice. Now, nice. of course, I didn't get a chance to start it until about 1 in the morning, so I was up to like 3.34. Maybe that has something to do with why I was tired? Maybe. I'm not sure. I might have to look into that. I'm sure it's just I'm feeling old. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> nope. But yeah, so just watch rec- watch Empire Records again. I love that movie. Yeah, so do I. I don't know why, but I do. <laughs> Seriously, right? <laughs> it should be a guilty pleasure, but I have no guilt about it. I'm like, nope, watch Empire Records. Who else wants to come? Happy Rex Manning Day. Say no more. And, no more. and it, it was Maxwell Caulfield, wasn't it? Like from Grease 2? Oh, it was Rex? I think so. Uh, let me look real quick. I don't know that name. I was paying attention more to the younger cast. But yeah, he, I'm pretty sure he was. So he was the guy who had to do Grease 2. He was he was the male lead of that along with. Oh, it uh, might be. It does yeah. sound like that to me. Yeah. And uh, that was the one yes. that Michelle Pfeiffer was in. Yes. And yes. And and not um, not a great movie, by the way. Um, not even um, in the top three Grease movies. Um, and, yeah, it, De- and Debbie Mazar in Empire. I mean, not Grease. Yes, yes, De- Debbie Mazar from uh, well, all kinds of things. Well, a lot of people: oh, Robin Tooney, Mays Ellinger, Ethan Embry, Liv Tyler. That's right. So Ethan Embry and Liv Tyler reunited from. Um, Wait, have I got the math right on that? No, maybe they were re- reunited in that thing you do. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was like 97. Empire's like 95. That's what I was going to say. So if that, if that was an Empire Records reunion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's what I did. Everyone was sleeping and I'm like, all right, it's about time to start it. One something in the morning. Yeah, it's about time. I could start it now. There you go. It's a beautiful thing. Excellent. Excellent. Well, the other beautiful thing is that cover of the issue we are looking at. Rebels Annual number one. Probably the only one. I don't think they got a No. They yeah, I I mean, as we've discussed, they should be on like annual twelve by now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah if yeah. only. But alas. Yes. Yep. It is a great cover. 
I don't see a signature, but it looks common. Calvin Andrew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I Although think, maybe um, he's yeah. hidden a signature in some of the starfish. He heroes. does stuff like that, know. doesn't he? Like, um, there's there's some guys who do that sort of, uh, you know, sneaking it in, uh, yeah, sneaking yeah, yeah. in the the uh, the signature. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's amazing. It? No, no, let me. It's not it. Now I was looking at like the little ring, almost. It looks like a ring that's like on the left side. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Looks like I was writing on it, but I can't. I think it's just scribbling. I think so too. I think so too. But it's great. Yeah, we got uh, a starfish being held, squished, and looking creepy. Uh, yeah, and you looking know? creepy by the star conqueror dude guy. Mm-hmm. It's like oh, mm-hmm. which, which which is perhaps one of the. Th- I mean, of of all the things that I do love about this. Uh, this series that they um, that they did something so interesting with Starro um, is is a big part of it. Yeah, yeah. I, they're making him a lot. Cre- I mean, not that it wasn't a little creepy or weird before, but it's really creepy now, especially the way these stars look. It's it's a lot less goofy than it was. Yeah. Yes. yes. And in the way I like when they do these things, it takes nothing away from the other ones. Everything that had previously with Starro still yes. happened. Yes, yeah, totally, and 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 still completely works with uh, with what they've done in this case. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, it wasn't a oh that never happened. Yeah, yeah. Now I can't remember. Is this kind of the the last hurrah for Starro? Like, do we see him, him, it? Do we see the fish? Do we see them? <laughs> do we see them show up in DC much after this storyline? You know what? That's a good question. I mean, I could think of one place they show up, but it's technically not DC. <laughs> oh, two places, actually, considering what you talked about before we started. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, they show up in the Suicide Squad movie. But, yeah. I'm, I'm but, thinking uh, JLA Avengers. Oh, right. right. <clears throat> but they're on the Marvel Earth, too. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised it's not a concept that's been revisited. Mm-hmm. Unless, unless it's, unless I've forgotten, like, like, like in the way the great darkness kind of propelled Darkseid into all things DC. <laughs> mm, <laughs> I figured yes, this yes. storyline could have been like uh, Starro's coming out, right? But, but maybe not. Let's but see. that's not to say it can't continue to come out I, at some okay. other point. Well, I'm looking here. Okay, I am now. Unfortunately, the DC, like, that, you know, wiki thing, unlike the Marvel one, doesn't do the appearances in order. It does them in alphabetical order, not chronological. <laughs> so, like, all the rebels are together, but, you know, you yeah. don't know what's first, you know. But I do see Booster Gold, Volume 2, number 13 and 14. So that was newer than this, I believe, or around the same time. Uh-huh. Um, I'm seeing a new 52 Futures End, number 42. So that's kind of tells me when that took place. Yes. Uh, let's see. Other history of the DC Universe, number one. So that's kind of recent, but I don't know how much of that. He might well, just have a panel. Yeah, but that's that was uh, other history of DC. Number one was I forget which character, but either way, it's like looking back, right? Looking back. At yeah, well, it makes sense. It makes sense. It's a history of. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, well, for around this time, Teen Titans had a couple issues of Taro, some Star in it, but that's like it says 2007, so that's actually before this. Never mind. Hmm. Before this one, yeah. Huh. Alrighty, so he's ripe for a comeback. Yes. Fresh up, well, fresh. <laughs> a few years after his movie debut. Debut. Oh, two hmm. issues of Our Man, but again, that could be any time. And when was Our oh. Man? Was that before this or after? Uh, 99. Yeah. Our Man's after this, so he does appear in Our, at least a few issues of Our Man. No, that's, that's before no. this. Oh, yeah. no, you're right, 99, duh. Ten I years before this. Math is hard. But it was a book about uh, time travel, so yeah, to be fair. Part, yeah. For the most part, looks like this might be it. Wow, so crazy. Alrighty, well, let's get into it, because it is the history of Starro the Conqueror, as told in many parts and chapters by many cool artists. Many cool artists. Okay, so I'll start us off, and then my voice gives out. I'll pass the baton. That sounds good. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Thankfully, I have chapters here. Totally. So chapter one is Starro the Conqueror, and I believe the art is by, by flip to the back. I believe the framing sequences are Claude Saint-Aubin. And then... Um, then maybe they're, I don't know, we'll find out, we'll find out. <laughs> I think this is Claude St. Oban. So we get a prologue. Only I know the truth about Starro the Conqueror. His is a tale of wonder and woe, and I have watched it unfold for a thousand lifetimes. For you, however, this saga began a mere seven days ago, when planet Maltus fell victim to a Starro invasion, and Starro is in quotes. Quote marks. It was not the first time your galaxy faced such a threat. For years, our mother stars have wandered the Milky Way, preying upon civilized worlds. But these were only probes tasked with finding worthy foes for my master. And when they failed repeatedly to conquer a planet called Earth, the real Starro took notice. So we get to see, you know, we get to see a close-up of a Starro. We get to see Starro battling the Justice League and it's... In its first appearance, and the Justice League's first appearance too, right? Um, was it? Yeah, I feel like it might have been. I think yes, because so. it wasn't actually the origin. The origin was different, but yeah. The origin came, yeah, much later. But yeah, uh, but I think that was their first appearance. Uh, hither he came with his mighty horde, an endless column of warships spewing from a rip in space. Uh, As one, they descended upon a people who called themselves the Dominators. The name was no idle boast. They were among the most feared and technologically accomplished species in the quadrant. And they fought valiantly to save their world. So well, in fact, my master deigned to join the battle himself. By nightfall, the Dominion was no more. Then a renegade genius named Vril Dox enclosed half the sector in a force field, trapping the horde within... Docs checked our march to conquest, but he cannot contain us forever. And the billions trapped inside with us can only hide and pray and wonder, where will Starro strike next? There you go. If you've been wondering what happened in Rebels issue one to eight, there you go. In eight panels, we've just been (laughs) brought up to speed. Brought up to speed. And you're right, Al. Everything that's happened with Starro before totally fits in with this. 
they were just they weren't the real star well they were real staros they just weren't the main dude they were just yeah and they even bring it in later towards the end they explain yeah. it a bit yeah 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 so we got chapter one here the doom that came to kalendor and we see a planet full of Desperos. I love that they all look like little Desperos, too. Yes. <laughs> They've all got that weird horizontal uh, fin, and they're all pink, and they've got, they got the why, Despero yeah. look. That's why he's the king. His fin goes the other way. Does it? Oh, it does. But it didn't always, right? Like, when he first appeared, he looked more like these guys. I think so, but every appearance of his I've seen... Which, to be fair, is only going with like the gif the gif and JLA on. Yeah, it's been the other way. Yeah, that's when he got an upgrade or a new a new look. That's why he's sure. king. He's like my thing that's, is the other way. Yeah. It's like oh, I can't <laughs> argue right. that. You must be king. Totally. Alrighty, so we got one of the Kalinorians, Kalinorites. Charge your blasters and sharpen your blades, laddies. Nope, ladies. Ooh. The king don't put us on high alert unless it's serious. What, did his enemies follow him home from Earth? And we're told in a little caption box that this takes place after Justice League of America number 38. Yep, which I just checked, by the way. It came out the same month as this one. All right. So talk about, you know, timing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How bad can it be, asks another little uh, warrior there. They say it's just a big starfish, right? Try several big starfish. I hear he barely <laughs> made it back. Another two ticks slower and Dox's big force field would have locked him out. Right, kid, shut up before the king hears you. Color Sergeant, I'm picking <laughs> up multiple contacts entering orbit. And a few million of their... Oh, oh. Okay, so I'm reading these panels in the wrong order. Hmm. No, it sounds like you're reading the right order. Um, maybe. Oh, okay, and a few million of their closest friends. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Hey, hey, actually, it could go either way. Yeah. Yeah. This is one of those choose-your-own-adventure type pages where you just pick a <laughs> panel and read top to bottom or left to right. It all makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Darren would be looking for arrows. <laughs> oh, and he would hate them. No arrows needed. That's the beauty. No arrows needed. That's right. Needed. No arrows needed. You Outstanding. Read it any order you want. Alrighty, so we got the Staros uh, zooming in and spaceships, and it's totally cosmic. And so, says the narrator, like 10,000 worlds before it, Kalinor watched helplessly as the horde rained down from on high. Our vanguard led the attack, followed by starships that once protected conquered worlds. Within them, the mind slave remnants of captured armies stood ready to die for my master. The smartest Kalinorians, that's what they are, abandoned their posts first. Hold your ground, cowards, says the, uh, the leader. You heard him. Turn and fight. The king will save us. The king will. And that's all he says, because they just get smacked in the face by starfish. So many starfish. <laughs> I like that he kind of looked like Dum Dum Dugan. Totally, totally yeah. does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like the fact that all these starfish flying by. It's like, you know... Get your pies for the great pie fight. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally, totally. All righty. Fear not, boy. Your king is here. And then we get to see Despero 
Homeworld Kalinor, Strength, Speed, Invulnerability, Telepathy, Telekinesis, Mind Control. I saw you stand your ground. I heard your words. And the star creature is just kind of mumbling because he's got no mouth anymore. His face has all been starfished. Your faith in me shall be rewarded. And Despero just reaches down, grabs the starfish, and rips it off his little uh, soldier's face along with an eyeball or two and a couple of layers of skin. And that, of course, does not go well for the... Not not a, not a no. g- not a great facial mask. No, nope, 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 nope. And Despero just says, "Ah, never mind." <laughs> <laughs> I tried. <laughs> oh well. That's right. They're a dime a dozen. You there, you poor doomed marauders. Do you have any concept whom you face? He's shouting at the, the invaders. I am Despero, slayer of heroes, master of the. Hightar flame. I am Despero, and this world is mine. And a starfish uh, smacks right on his face, and his little third eye, his little Despero eye, cuts right through it. Ha! Lesser minds yield, but Despero bows to no one. Now tell the scum who leads you to face me himself. Tell him Despero wishes to meet him in single combat. I've crushed more worlds than I can count, and on every one of them, they had the same old saying. Be careful what you wish for. And we see that's not Despero saying it. We see it's Starro, who has come to take on Despero. And Starro gets a little frickin' tag there that says, Homeworld... Hator, is that an S or an E? Hatori? It's Hatori. Anyway, he is a transgalactic conqueror. And Despero is like slashing away at his blade, saying, You know nothing. I am a holy terror at a hundred star systems. The mind is my plaything. The world grovels at my feet. I am Despero, and my will is supreme. And he's uh, beaten down on Starro. And we get yeah. a page turn, and we see little Despero is remembering all the times he's fought the Justice League and all the ways he's fought the Justice League. Um, King of Kalinor's mind reached out, seeking to overwhelm my master with visions of his battles, victories, and conquests. Indeed, his accomplishments were worthy, his enemies of the First Order. But despite his prowess, Despero found that invading my master's mind was like stepping in a puddle, only to find it has no bottom. Now you understand, says Starro. Despero ruled the planet. My master rules nine galaxies. Hundreds of trillions of conquered minds are linked directly to the mind of Starro. Their strength is his strength. His thoughts are their thoughts. The will of Despero had ever been as a raging river, weakening or wearing down as sweeping and, oh my gosh, wearing down or <laughs> sweeping aside what it encountered. But there comes a time when every river must meet the sea. And Despero is kind of almost groveling, shaking, saying no, no, no. And Despero said, or Starro says yes and kind of takes his big giant axe and Cuts off Despero's head. Boom. He's been beheaded, man. 
What a waste, says Starrow. I would have offered you a place in my vanguard, but as soon as our minds touched, I knew you would never willingly serve, ever. By Despero, <laughs> your reign is already forgotten. Damn. Just like that, Despero is done. He did. Yeah. We're never going to see him again. I'm sure it's forever. Forever and ever and ever. Amen. <laughs> On planet Maltos, Maltus did my master set his main encampment. The capture of this venerable world was entrusted to one of the vanguard's more storied champions. And that's, what's her name? Stormbringer, Mistress of the Night. <laughs> I don't remember her name. I think it's She's not a beat poet, that's all I know. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. Master, welcome back. How was your, like always, it was too easy. Is all of Malta's mine yet? There are some under, holdouts underground, but the rest are hunting them. I arranged for food imports to resume. The horde feeds first. As for Vril Docks, I summoned Smite and the High Vanguard to reformulate plans for his capture. Docks. Flippity, flippity, flippity. Docks, that name is a maddening buzz in my ears. I want him more than ever. I know, Master. His knowledge of this quadrant, no, Storm Daughter. I no longer wish him to serve me as you do. I want him as a slave, a pet. I want a spore on his face, its tendrils in its brain, so that the only thoughts on his mind will be mine. And this is the first time we've seen Starro kind of remove his star helmet. And his face is... Mm, uh, it turns out Despero's guy was not the first to have such a... <laughs> A skin removal. removal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's got like eyes, a, at least. Yeah, he's got a starfish-shaped yeah. starfish scar kind of over his face where there used to be skin. And mm -hmm. big red glowing eyes, and that's about it. He looks yeah. like he could fit in with a Zemo family reunion. <laughs> totally, 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 totally. Astrid Stormdaughter doesn't understand how such a powerless worm as Vrildox could distress the Star Conqueror. Though her devotion is complete, the Stormdaughter has struggled to fathom my master since the day they met. That brings us to chapter two. Tag. <laughs> sure. So yeah, chapter two, Daughter of Storms. And the art on this one I'm showing is Carl Malone and Mark Pennington. <clears throat> Every culture has its gods, unseen deities to love or fear or beg for favors. Be they benevolent, vengeful, or indifferent, gods are generally objects of faith, total belief in them that which cannot be proven. Not so on Veridian, for theirs was a living god in the flesh, performing miracles among them every day of their lives. And when the people of Veridian bowed their heads in prayer, the name they invoked was that of Astrid, Storm Daughter. Hers was the breath of life. She could command the weather and shift the vital essence of one living thing to another. And we see a much younger and happier version of her. And as I'm reading this, this part of the story and seeing the way she is and the way back then, kind of looks like they almost like took inspiration from Storm. Of the mm -hmm. X-Men. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, that's kind of what her life was, supposedly, before, you know, she was brought to the X-Men. Yeah. You know, they thought she was a god. I mean, it even has Storm in it. She has weather powers and... 
it's like, what if Storm was a villain? But yeah, we can see her on her world, and she's walking. You can see the world is desolate. You know, the ground is desolate and you know barren, and behind her, it's growing green and beautiful. Yeah. Thus, yeah. Okay, Mark Pennington worked on uh, Shade the Changing Man with uh, uh, Chris Piccolo. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. I knew, okay. I, I, I knew I'd heard his name somewhere. Yeah. Thus, she ensured that famine, drought, and flood never occurred. With food and shelter so abundant, there was never want, nor need for war in Viridian. And yeah, we could see Renzel happy in Viridian, and it looks like it's you know, the cities are just right in the forest. Like, there's no... They're not chopping stuff down. They're just living with nature. It's perfect. Religious strife was unknown because God was right there for all to see. And just as she can make a withered vine bear fruit, so too could she heal the sick. The people of Viridian loved her dearly. How could they not? And we see a woman bringing a very sick child her, and she touches her, and the child's all happy and smile awake again. She was all that was bright and right and beautiful. Surely theirs is the most blessed of worlds. Then came the day that this land of peace and plenty drew her first visitors from the stars. And of course, shockingly, we can see it's a bunch of staros and all their ships coming to conquer. They had no contact with alien cultures. They had no desire for space travel. They already possessed all that they needed. Perhaps it was only natural they assumed everyone else would share their open-armed civility. Blissfully ignorant, they greeted our landfall the way a child watches fireworks. And they're all sitting there looking, going, ooh, what's that? (laughs) <laughs> and then the bombs come. <laughs> and thus their perfect world came crashing to an end. You know, I also saw online, apparently this is, if you're into Star Trek, this was also this week was First Contact Day. <laughs> this is a crappy <laughs> First Contact. Wow. You know, th- what, what this reminds me a bit of was the point of view of the League of Super Assassins on their world. Yes. Oh, yeah. Right, of course, there we only had it in, like, maybe a page and a half. But, um, you know, this idea of them having this idyllic uh, existence, and then suddenly there were invaders. And um, now, in that case, it's a, it's a matter of perception. In this case, it is, uh, you know, yeah, no, no, it's true. They're, they're not great. Not great. Yeah. Alien but yeah, starfish. Right. <laughs> First came the vanguard any one of whom could have laid waste to an entire city. Then spores rained from, from a mother star. They flocked hungrily towards mines, seas of terror. And yeah, we can see all the battle, and the sorrow people are just beating the crap out of these people, destroying everything. The people of Viridian were, were trading one form of peace for another. Through getting their old god as they became one with the new, as all the stars start slapping on people's faces. But the god of Viridian had not yet forsaken her people. And we have a big crackoom of lightning. And there's Astralid. Leave my children be. The Storm Daughter had always used her power to nurture life. Now, face of such horror, she took the spark of life from every spore in sight. She released her suffering worshippers. And unlike Despero, she actually released them alive. They're not dead. So just want to specify that. <laughs> They're fine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For now. By stealing the vitality of the invaders. So yeah, all Sorrow's people are actually withering and dying while hers are fine. Running won't save you. I swear I'll kill you all. Never before had the Horde encountered one who could actually stop them. Never before had they retreated. And never had the people of Ridian seen their god's wrath. They flocked to her gratefully, though a seed of fear was in each heart. 
And this is when Starro himself shows up. Hard to believe, is it not, how eons of peace can shatter in the blink of an eye? The truth is that your peace is an illusion. The truth, Astralid Storm Daughter, is that you made your people soft, easy pickings for one such as I. You should have run with your friends. The Storm Daughter beckoned, uh, the Storm Daughter beckoned Starro's energy to herself, expecting him to wither and fall. But my master is far beyond her touch, and with a big doom, smashes his axe right in front of her. <laughs> you shall have to fight harder. Half measures won't do. And he swings her with the axe, but she catches it the last second. That's it. Why are you doing this? We've done nothing to you. You cannot reason with me. You cannot bargain with me. Only two paths lie open to you. Surrender, and your people will live as slaves. Fight me, and I will force you to make the ultimate sacrifice. And then he throws her away, kicks her away. Now choose. The calm in the storm daughter's face gave way, in the storm daughter's eye gave way to naked rage. Alas, violence is a thing very much like fire, and she starts blasting him with lightning. But in the hands of a novice, bereft of temperance, desperately lashing out, controlled is an effective tool. Oh yeah, that's a little weird. I think that was Panos should have in the wrong order. Anyway. The flame spreads unchecked, consuming all in its path, and we see her blasting with more and more lightning, and we see everyone around her starting to wither away. Ashley's storm daughter was a biomancer, though she did not know the name for it. She drew upon the collective life force of her entire world. It was the wellspring of her power. For every seed she caused to sprout, somewhere else a blossom withered. And we see a big old battle going on between the two of them. Lots of lightning, lots of Zarak and Krakathoom and Zax. And on that day, she called upon the life force of Viridian as never before, only to find that a wellspring can run dry. The power of hers, ever a blessing, had become the cruelest curse, and she looks all over and everything is dead. Not just the people, the plants, the, the ground is just cracked and dirt, dusty and open. It's just all dead. She's like, you, you killed them. No, Storm Daughter, you did. They should be alive, blissful subjects of Starro. But you, what you see in me offends you. It was your righteous indignation that sealed your people's fate. No, you're wrong. There is no wrong. There is no right. Come find me once you understand this. My master left her there, knowing she would need time. And after she tried in vain to revive her dead people, after she hatched a million schemes to avenge them, knowing they would all come to naught, and we see her now, change, she changed her costume, and she's apparently drawn those marks on her face. So those are not natural. Apparently that's makeup. Storm Daughter finally realized the truth of Starro's words. Right and wrong had nothing to do with her people's sorry fate. She had lost because she came up short in the only thing that really counts. Power. And she is, and now we're back, flash back to the present. She's actually said that unknowingly. She said power. And Starro was sitting on his throne with a whole bunch of alien women all around, lounging all over him, but they're all Starro'd, so it's kind of, it's even creepier than it would be normally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I mean, he's doing like a Jabba thing, but imagine if they all had starfish faces, so it's even creepier than yeah. that. Ah. He's like, huh? Nothing, Master, I just... I shall report back with the High Vanguard's Council. And she walks away. In the 7,000 years since the fall of Viridian, Ashtolid Storm Daughter had ever been the tip of my Master's spear. Her decision, her decision to resist the will of Starro cost her everything she sought to defend. She has made certain that no one else repeats her mistake. 
and chapter three, the High Vanguard. All right. So, thank I'll you. I'll do this one. Yeah. Oh what? Oh oh, how many champs, chapters do we have? There's five, and this one's a short one. So oh, here, I'll just do yeah, this one keep too. going, please. Yeah. yeah. We only switch up too many times. And so she walks in to meet the High Vanguard. Thank you for your patience, brothers and sisters. Now let's bend our thoughts toward the capture of Real Dox and the removal of his ungodly barrier. And we get the Frickman tag for the High Vanguard, Commanders of the Horde. Kronar, who kind of looks like a predator with a full mask. Yes. on his head and face. <laughs> we are talking about the same Real Dox you allowed to escape. And Arcanus, who kind of reminds me a bit of Telepath. Because he's got that big head. He's got like a similar size big head. Recriminations are unhelpful at this point. We need facts. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah I, I see that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if the, I, the I, I panel, wasn't matching it up it. to the. Mm, but if you look at yeah. above, he has that big. He even has two starros on his head. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. One isn't enough. It's... Yeah. No. He's got too big a brain. We got Limina, who just looks like a, a female woman in purple, like purplish violet skin and a lot of armor. I hear this doc shrinks entire cities and keeps them in bottles. Black Fang, who just, you know, big old werewolf dude. I hear he's gathered an army. Brunt, who. Oh, God, what is his name? He looks like Thug from uh, the Technet from Excalibur, Alan Davis. Oh, the little like he was like the little short guy. He was like green. I'll find a picture later. But yeah, his face kind of looks like that. I hear the master is afraid of. And then we got Smite, who we had seen before, definitely. And he's a big old like chalk white skin guy missing an eye with like a star of scar over that one eye. Shut up, all of you. Stormwater will tell us what she knows. And she does. To begin with, Dox does not have an army. I know because I took his army from him. The symbol on the table was their standard because they're sitting at, in Legion headquarters. They called themselves Legion, and they enforced the world on most local. They enforced the law on most local worlds. <clears throat> Another self-styled hero. Not exactly. Dox operated for profit. When his people questioned his motives, he replaced them with robots. And the means by which he achieves objectives were often as heartless as anything Smite did before joining the Vanguard. Leave my past out of this, Ashland. And Arachnus, Ar no, sorry, not Arachnus, Arcanius. Well, this Dox did something to draw the Master's notice. He was to join us, after all. Doubtful. Vril Dox occupies a moral middle ground. The Master in invites the very good to join the Vanguard, and the Master invites the very bad. That's how it worked with us. That's how it always worked. All right, now we can tag. For the chapter five, four. Sure. Sorry, the mute button is a little fussy. Um, <laughs> this is, I'm, uh, talking, I'm, I'm talking. This is Derek Donovan doing the art. Oh, okay. All right, it's making his character. return to Rebels. Mm-hmm. Right? Is this him? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Derek Donovan? Have we had him before? I thought we had. Because um... he used to work under a different name. Oh, um, okay. Right? 
because I remember it was uh, like I remember when he was on CGS once. It was uh, right. So he started the original run of Rebels. Eric. Oh, you mean the, the old the old one or this one? Yeah, but what was his his um Oquin? Derek Oquin? Yes, thank you. That's it. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Gotcha. Pretty sure that's the dude. Yep. Um all right. So, um damn, this looks good. Um All right, chapter 4, Scourge of the Stars. General Smite was a very different man when my master first found him. In those days, he was known as the Scourge of the Stars. Mm, So it's more than just a clever title. Uh, Because he had single-handedly depopulated ten worlds. He had no interest in conquest, only in suffering, and he was inventive in his cruelty. And, um, yeah, yeah, it was... uh, you know, you got all these uh, adults uh, tied up to stakes, being burned at them, um, and then the little kids uh, crawling around. And please, mommy! And he raises up the big old uh, sledgehammer, energy sledgehammer over his head. He raised atrocity to an art form. In a word, the man was evil. Oh, and I looked nope. up uh, <laughs> according to uh, comics.org. Yeah, you're right, Paul. Okay. Okay. I, I, Derek Aquin as Derek Donovan. Nice. So it is him. Nice. Yeah, I I remember, as I say, I remember he had changed it. He had changed his name professionally, and um, and uh, and I remember because I remember him being on CGS and talking about how he used a different name before, and I, and and they talked about Rebels a bit, and so most I've outside of this show it's the most i've ever heard people talk about rebels um (laughs) yeah i'd say we've got the edge guys i'm just saying um at last smite's predations brought him to farthon parthon yeah a world united by its church and defended by four superhuman monks known as the the sodality of virtue that sounds like some kind of uh, soft drink. Um, yeah. <laughs> so now be on the rocks, please. Yeah. <laughs> Righteous in spirit, flawless in faith, the Sodality met the Scourge of the Stars in pitched combat, and their defense of Parthon was the stuff of song and story. Seldom indeed has the universe witnessed such a manifest clash of rectitude and wick- wickedness. And it's just like a... You know, a battle that starts on the on the planet, goes in, into deep space, and then comes right back to the surface of the world. The balance of power between them was so exact, they soon settled into stalemate. For 12 long years, Smite could not de- defeat the Sodality, nor could they vanquish Smite. Something had to give. Oh, real quick, Sodality. A, comp- a confraternity or association, especially a Roman Catholic religious... Guild or Brotherhood. Okay, and they mentioned the, that planet in its church, so that yeah. all makes sense. Yep. It all works. Um, so uh, we see Starro looking at Smite. I've seen your work, and I'm impressed, Smite says. Whoever you are, I'll put down your hammer, Smite. I am not here to fight. I'm here to end your war with the warrior priests of Parthon. You got stones approaching me. I'll grant you that. I'll even confess I admire your look. 
But whatever aid you think you can grant, whatever you expect in return, forget it. Smite needs no help. I'll crush my enemies as surely as I'll crush you. You misunderstand me, O Scourge of the Stars. I'm not here to offer help. I'm here to offer the peace of my rule. And he's, uh, you know, got a big swing of the hammer ready. And uh, and and uh, Starl kind of stops that, shatters the uh, the energy hammer, and he says, "Or the peace of the grave." You're going to deliver a message now, Smite. He says as he's now got him by the throat, and he throws him to the to the uh, planet below and says, "Tell your enemies, Starro is at hand." Tell them to say their prayers, and we see some people worshiping in a church, and uh, and Smite comes crashing through the uh, the wind the skylight. The stained glass skylight. Smite thought he knew why my master had cast him in this, into the sanctum of his greatest foes. He assumed he'd been thrown to the wolves, humbled and weakened before those who would slay him on sight. So Smite swallowed his pride and said the only words that could forestall their holy wrath. Help me, just as my master knew he would. Smite told them of their common enemy. An invader of such magnitude would require them to set aside their differences. The Sodality knew better than to trust Smite, but a truce was called nonetheless. And not a moment too soon. Smash as Starro comes through the wall. None of them knew who my master was. They had no idea that for the first time ever, boom, he had ordered his horde to wait at the edge of the solar system. My master was conducting an experiment that would put the lie to everything Smite ever thought he stood for. And uh, they fight it out. And uh, someone else, uh, and a woman who was, who was worshipping in the church, a member of the Sodality, says, The most evil man in all of existence would discover his own capacity for good. God's below. And, um, and, uh, and Starro says, why? And he would be allowed a glimmer of hope against the unbeatable foe. And uh, he jumps off saying, why didn't they kill you? And we see um, Smite with the members of the Sodality saying, I can't believe I'm saying this, but thank you. Every few days, Starro would menace them anew. Holding back at each encounter, he stretched the battle out for months that Smite and the Sodality might forge a true alliance. Soon enough, the man who had devoted his life to cruelty found himself performing selfless, even heroic acts. And we see him holding a, a big flat rock off a couple of kids. The impossible came to pass. Genuine trust had taken root between the former foes. The redemption of Smite seemed like a miracle. And then my master dispelled the illusion he had so carefully nurtured. He stopped holding back. When Smite awoke, the horde had already taken Parthon. There are five of you, says Starro. I will allow one to leave that hole alive. Slay your friends and earn a place at my side. It took nearly an hour. Perhaps the sodality of virtue let Smite win, or perhaps they fought their best. Frankly, Smite did not care. The only thing that mattered to him was that he still drew, drew breath. And Smite had come to a life 
life-changing epiphany as he's basically kneeling before Starro. All his old notions of good and evil were useless drivel now. After all, the effort he'd put into becoming the scariest bastard in the universe, Smite saw that my master represented something far more frightening. The total absence of any moral code at all. I will serve you, says Smite, but not as your soldier. Make me general of your armies. And um, Starro says, and why should I do that? He, as he's like holding a knife to his eye, um, Smite says, "You taught me something. I want to learn. You taught me something. I want to learn more. And you will never have a truer disciple." Um, Not long after, General Smite had uh, an axe created to replace the warhammer he had lost. It was a telling choice. Smite does not merely love my master; he wants to be my master. How long before such worship curdles into treachery? I like that phrase, worship yeah. curdling into treachery. That's great. Um, let me come back to him in the present. General, you have a course of action? Uh, yes, master. We have two choices, really. Hunt Vrildox or lure him into a trap. A trap only works if you have the right bait. Why would the smart guy stick out his neck? That's easy, Black Fang. Love. Love is the opposite of smart. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds um, true. Well, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, I have re- reviewed the L-E-G-I-O-N archives. Oh, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> Bunch oh, of hardcovers on the, on the shelf with it. Oh, yeah. Or an beautiful thing. I'll take yeah. it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm still worried. I'm st- I still fear my omnibuy. I, I still feel like if I, if I doze off while I'm reading, they'll kill me. Um, anyway, she says, I've reviewed the Legion archives, and I must conclude that Vrildox loves nothing, not even his offspring. And she says also she has a problem with the change in uh, trade dress partway through them all. But that's a whole other thing. Um, <laughs> well, the Star Wars, um, he doesn't like the lot of individuality, so I understand her, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, he has a child? Yes, a son. Capture him, and the father will attempt a rescue. Never underestimate how family can affect a man. Uh, yeah, but <laughs> I mean, it's docs, right? All right. Uh, chapter five, the Star Conqueror. The people of planet Hattore were unremarkable by almost any measure. Oh, I think we're going a bit further back here. Oh, and this is uh, Kalman did this this uh, chapter. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, the, the art in this annual, like the art in the book in general is is stellar, right? But they have done, they've gone a different route with these, kind of like uh, they're they're telling sort of mythologies and um, mm-hmm. and fables about about this, and it's it, you know it's not typical. And like they're they're all like trying a different style here, and it's really kind of awesome. Yeah, um, no, I love this annual. This is great. It's beautiful. Um, they lived simple lives. They had no cities, no industry, no gift for invention. But in one respect, they were unsurpassed. Let's go, Andre. We're going to be late. We don't have to be there in person, Kobe. Mom and dad can find us in the link. 
I know, I was just hungry is all. Once a day they paused at their labors and joined in species-wide telepathic union. Viewpoints were shared, common values reaffirmed. The worldwide communion made the Hattare the most ethical culture that ever existed. Their daily ritual gave them a supremely refined sense of right and wrong. But not all life forms appreciate such spiritual achievements. And we see, uh, I'm looking up and the little one says, ooh, pretty, and it's a starfish in the sky. Something's coming out of it. Are those birds, says Andre? In those days, the Starro were solitary nomadic predators. And that's kind of a thing I think is interesting in all this because that's generally the viewpoint that we were given of um, Starro. Yeah. It was not that that it was a calculated thing. It was that that's just what they did and their thing took over people's minds. But but ultimately they were they, it wasn't kind of a necessarily a malicious intent. It was just a predatory being. And uh, and I love that this has given us both. It's like it's like we said at the beginning, like th this does not negate anything that has been said before. It actually shows how it all comes together. But yeah, you're right. They're not evil. I mean, the Starro's themselves, maybe Starro, he, the Starro guy is, but the Starro's yeah. themselves. But they're they're higher on the food chain. It's like Alien. Yes. You know, it's not that it's evil. It's just higher up the food chain than we are. Yeah. And so so that, thinking, thinking of that then, so is it that basically as they go through, they kind of absorb all the thoughts, right? Like they basically it becomes a, a collective and so is it that that this well like maybe we'll find out um but now i'm speculating like, like is it that this guy was you know like he doesn't seem to have evil in him but was he vengeful and that's what they that's what they took from him um and it's kind of like the borg right where it's a collective and uh yeah. And and they 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 all kind of assimilate into it, but then maybe if there is a a personality that is strong, um, does it maybe start leaping to the fore and uh, and taking over a lot of the other sort of subsumed personalities? Oh, you might be somewhere right on the he right on the head of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just a thought, just a thought. All right, so. Um, yeah, and Andre gets whapped. Um, you know, typically a lone mother star, mother star would find a new world and enslave the population. Andre, please don't be dead. And, uh, and Andre grabs his face and uh, it says, the people were put to work immediately, like mindless insect drones. They grabbed their tools and marched, and we see them all with the starfish on their face, even a baby at the back there crawling along. <laughs> uh, a nest would be dug, food gathered, and so on. This was always the pattern when a star struck. But on Hatsure, it was different. For these drones could not be rendered completely mindless. Though their bodies belonged to the Starro, the link still existed. Within that mental realm, the Hattare were drowning in panic, rage, and fear. Their morality did nothing to save them. As the days stretched to weeks, they were all being worked to death. 
Despair and madness poisoned the link. Their outrage grew more virulent and concentrated as each Hattore died, as if the wrath of an entire species was filtering down to its last few survivors. And so this collective cry for vengeance or for revenge loosened the psychic hold on the youth, on the youth named Andre. Though he could scarcely think, still he knew what to do. The mother star on Hattore was the queen of the starro. But she was old and dying and vulnerable. She'd chosen Hattore because it looked peaceful, undeveloped, non-threatening. Her final act was to spawn a new clutch of mother stars from which would rise the new Starro Queen. The newborns would watch and fight until only one survived. The victor would consume the last Hattore and leave that world to, to seek fresh victims. Yeah, it's totally an alien thing, like you said. Um, for the sake of his people, Andre would have to slay the hatchlings before it was too late. I remember it as if it happened only this morning. I remember wondering how could he do this, how he could do this. I tried to command him to stop, but he would not obey. Never before had a mind slave been able to resist us, let alone turn against us. I had only just hatched, and now I was seconds from death. So I used the only tool at hand, the child called Kobe. I did not know they were brothers, nor did I care. And we see Kobe grabbing, you know, basically what, like... Bites at his arm. He's biting at, yeah. Uh, and then he tries grabbing at the uh, at the axe. I only knew I wanted to live. And oh, oh, there you go. He uh, cuts Andre's head off. <laughs> well, you know, yep. like he's Despero or something. Uh, but I did not understand. <laughs> I assumed I faced a single desperate biped, lucky enough to slip its chains. In truth, I was fighting the death knell of a species that had distilled madness that passed from Andre to the nearest vessel it could find. The final vessel that would ever contain it as he tears off his starfish. And uh, and we realize, you know, in the, uh, um, you know, in the finality of it that, uh, yeah, this is uh, this is the guy. This is the guy that becomes Starro. Mm -hmm. We thought it was, uh, we thought maybe it was Andre. Um, they kind of let us down that path, and, but no, now it's this kid. You shouldn't have come to Hattore. I was newborn, I was weak, but I was still a queen of the Starro. I leapt to tear him limb from limb. And that was my final act of free will, because the big starfish just is all over him. And uh, over his chest, as we've seen, you know, this is yep. where we see that that whole thing where he's kind of like, um, you know, Al, you put it like it was like tendrils just going into uh, going into him from that cover a couple of issues ago. And that's probably what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he says, you, as he whacks at them, shouldn't be here. There are more of you out out here, out there. I know it. And every last one will be mine. And then we see him fully grown as uh, Star of the Conqueror. And it says somehow he could control we he could control us. Perhaps his union with me enabled it. But the Star were his to command. Through us, 
I love that sort of, you know, as opposed to it is Starro. It is, um, it is the Starro. You know, they are, again, it's that collective. Yeah. Through us, he enslaved every intelligent life form we encountered. But unlike us, he did not work them to death. For every new, every new mind slave increased his power. The strength of millions, then billions, infused his body and sw- he swelled like a giant. His flesh intertwined with my own. His old name was forgotten. Like his old Hattore philosophies, cast aside like the drivel they were. He became Star of the Conqueror. Drawn to the strong and warlike, incorporating their their tactics, weapons, and soldiers. And the more he conquered, the more he knew that one day the entire universe would be his. As his victories became too many to count, and we see a bunch of uh, multicolored uh, starfish in the sky. So that's an angry one, that's a willful one, that's a hopeful one. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, we, we, he dispatched mother stars to other galaxies, seeking worthy, worthy additions to his horde. When the heroes of Earth repelled them no less than three times, Starro took notice and came himself. And so we see Justice League Europe with uh, Power Girl, Captain Atom, um, Metamorpho, Flash, and Elongated Man. Uh, okay. see, uh, and Rocket uh, Red. Rocket Red, too. Well, I was yeah. going to say, I don't know oh, if that's sorry. separate. Um, yeah. Because, um, yeah, you're right, though. It's it's uh, it's them definitely fighting against the same one now that I look at where the way Ralph is stretching. So, yeah, Rocket Red. So, yeah, Justice League, you're up. Um, he seeks opponents who embody the highest virtue and the lowest depravity. He tests their morality to prove how empty such notions are in the face of overwhelming power. And he says, wait, wasn't that guy supposed to be a monarch? And then he wasn't? <laughs> Just checking. Um, my master believes he does this with the goal that one day the universe will be of one mind, his. But as I told you, I have watched his story unfold from the start. I have borne mute witness to all of his acts. And I tell you, the Star of the Conqueror is not searching for victory. For deep within him dwells that time-lost boy from Hetore, who once knew love and hope and family. A boy who yearns for someone, anyone, to prove that heroes do exist and goodness counts for something in this cold, indifferent cosmos. And so you see um, Storm Daughter looking at uh, at pictures of here's Stealth, here's uh, Doc Stealth and Baby Lyril, here's uh, almost Commandy Lyril, here's just Doc's because yeah. you know that's Doc's photo album. Um, <laughs> Mostly him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Almost all him and other people in the background. Um, alas, the hide- hideous strength of nine galaxies bolsters Starro, forever ensuring him victory. Denying him the peace of mind that he, was, that he has imposed upon trillions, yet cannot find within himself. Yeah, because it's his thing. He always offers them the peace of being part of Starro. And so this is brought to us by Tony Bedard, writer. Claude Saint-Aubin did the framing story. 
Uh, Carl Moline and Mark Pennington uh, did the Storm Daughter story. Uh, I know we've said this all before, but let's just say it again. Yeah, um, Derek Donovan uh, did the Smite story. Kalman Androsovsky did Starro and Cover. Jose Villarubio was the colorist. And God damn, did he do some fine work here. Mm, yeah, um, Travis Lanham, the letterer. Uh, Rex Ogle, assistant editor. And Brian Cunningham, editor. And what a goddamn pleasure this uh, annual was. Oh, yeah. I mean, even the little bits <laughs> in the art. I mean, they put all the little... My favorite is in the Just League Europe section, the little starfish flying yeah. right through Metamorpho. Absolutely. And Metamorpho and, looking like, uh, what happened? What was that? <laughs> and I mean, I remember the issue that they that they fought Starro, too. So it wasn't like it was, oh, let's pick a random team and put them against them. You know, they actually did appear, because I remember the cover. Yes. Had them, in, you know, doing the typical... Uh, uh, J, uh, you know, JLI um, uh, cover homage with starfish on their faces. Yeah, was it like just before breakdowns? I think. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. You know, that's because that was kind of peak JLE territory, right? Um, where, um, you know, it, 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 JLA was was starting to kind of slip into self-parody and uh, they were still doing some pretty cool stuff over in JLE. Um, okay, yeah, I'm looking it up. It's issues, it looks like it's 26 to 28. Okay, yeah. Huh. Yeah, that's like right before the breakdown started. Right, so I think we still had, was Bart Sears still on the book? He's doing the covers, definitely. Yeah, yeah, you, there's no, there's no doubt, right? <laughs> Bart Sears penciler. Yeah. the scripter. Yeah. Sears. And twenty-eight is yep, Bart Sears. He did, he did one of the best metamorphos ever. Oh yeah, he was great for metamorpho. Yeah, yeah, just and that that was just a real solid fit for him and uh and i always thought it was interesting how you know you had all the different versions of captain adam right it was uh in justice league america he was and and jli he was generally uh done you know much slimmer and uh and then um uh bart sears got a hold of him god that guy had muscles it was like all he needed was a suit of armor and uh full face mask and uh and a future society to subjugate yeah. I, I mean um um <laughs> his family that was uh, yeah that, that was it yeah and his power girl too like she wasn't just like the way you usually draw supergirl like really skinny but still can do everything like power girl had muscles to her oh yeah yeah that was interesting because he they they moved her into the different uh, costume very quickly. Yeah, the um, yeah, and um, and you're right. Like they, I gotta, I gotta, you know, give credit for that because they, they did kind of like, okay, let's not be, you know, I mean, yes, we've definitely objectified um, Power Girl a lot, um, oh, yeah. and you know, almost from the beginning. And it's like, yeah, maybe let's try a different route. And they they made her, uh, yeah, like they made they made her fuller figured because she was tough, and um, and you know, and uh, like you say, like very muscular. 
But his Ralph was still, from what I remember, and from seeing the covers at least, was still pretty skinny. It's not like he did yeah, everybody. I mean, he did do more muscles right, than right, most man, people but did. That's but. Because, but that's because with, with him, he mostly drew him stretching. You know, it was yeah. like, I, I, you know, you seldom saw Ralph in sort of just plain old human form. There was always some sort of really big extension going on, uh, which I loved because it just showed that his power was kind of always in play. And that was just his natural stakes. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at all the covers right now and all the ones I can see Ralph on. Yeah, he's always stretched. Yeah. He's never, it, which shape. is great, right? Right, like it, it, it's just it's good visual characterization, and and I mean I see a lot of that, you know, just to to bring it back to this is like the despite the fact that you had a bunch of different artists working on that on this, the characterization of each character was always bang on, and uh, and was incredibly consistent, even given different styles. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, seriously this book should be like celebrating issue like 300 now um <laughs> I, I i can't do math so i don't know that that's right um but it should be at a lot of damn issues instead of uh the fact that we're gonna end up in in a couple of months at the end of it um that seems preposterous to me because uh everything about it is a it, it's just such a solid book and yeah. uh and yeah, i know i say this every, every week i know yeah every week proves further <laughs> yeah. the one good thing is What's that? we can always say it's good we're not gonna be like well except for those three years where you know i mean oh like, yeah totally totally yeah yeah like i mean like yeah people love titans but like look at titans like how long do people like except for that whole stretch where wolfman had writer's block for several years <laughs> <laughs> and then there was the bill jaska year <laughs> i mean honestly for for some for something to 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 just hurdle me away from reading uh uh teen titans is baffling like how did that ever happen and yet so. it did so, I mean, it does suck that it is, it's not existing still, but on the other hand, it's like, well, you can at least yeah. just tell people, yeah, read Rebels. Well, what if it? Just read yeah, all, all the issues of, plus it, all of it. It's good. Yeah, and the annual. You'll want to read the annual. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> read it all. It's good. It's all good. Oh, that's great. All righty, folks. <laughs> on that note, we will call it we'll call it <laughs> exactly yeah. folks uh you uh you know there's the five points of our communication star uh, star there's emailing <laughs> us at um uh legion of substitute podcasters gmail.com there's going over to the facebook page which can be found at facebook.legionofsubstitutepodcasters.com there's on the twitter where we are losp podcast uh there's posting to uh this or any episode on our website, legionofsubstitutepodcasters.com. And number five is posting to any other episode or maybe even this on <laughs> legionofsubstitutepodcasters.com because you should do that twice as much. And that's all I got. Murray? Good. That is it for me, guys. We will see you all next. W-E-E-K. L-A-T-E-R. D-E-D-I-T-E-N-U-N-Y-E. Yeah, yeah, that's right. my favorite NYE, NYU uh, school. Yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs>